Um, well, uh, Katie asked me on Friday what we wanted to do to celebrate Father's Day this weekend, and I answered, like how many fathers probably do, I want to do nothing and just rest and hang out because my life is exhausting and busy, and I get to the weekend, and I said, if I could do anything, I would, like, stay at home and just watch reruns of Survivor over and over again. That's like my favorite show of all time. Does anybody else watch Survivor? Nope, just me. That's how it is. Oh, good. There's three of us in the whole church. This is great. Uh, and what I love about Survivor is like the social aspect of the game. I feel like I'm studying psychology. When, not really. I just like that they're on an island. But uh, I just watched the end of season 39 a few weeks ago, and they did something cool at the end that I thought was kind of neat. And I wish they'd done it in all the other seasons where as the survivors were like voted off, um, then they, they would like take them off the island, back to the mainland, to a hotel that uh, they would stay at, and then they'd eventually go home. But like they showed the first time that the survivors got to look in the mirror uh, in like a few weeks or for some like over a month. And they're like looking and, you know, you go on Survivor for a month and you're on an island, you're going to lose a bunch of weight and you can't put the makeup on and your hair's all nasty and you can't brush your teeth. You're like brushing your teeth with a leaf and stuff. So they're like looking in the mirror for the first time and they're like, what? That's what I look like? Because they haven't, they haven't been able to look in the mirror, which is like, that's bizarre to think of, right? Because we look in the mirror like multiple times a day. Some of you like use your phone as a selfie mirror like every hour, right? And like, we always want to know what we're looking like. Have you ever looked in the mirror and been like scared? Like, oh, that's not what I thought I looked like right now. It is, yeah. And some of you need to look in the mirror more. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that's a cool moment in Survivor that they kind of get to see the true reflection of what they look like, of how America has seen them for like throughout the whole season of the show. And today's topic in this teaching series we're doing is almost like a true reflection of our faith. And it's a hard conversation to have, but in a lot of ways... If we look at our faith through this lens, I think that it reveals an honest reflection of how we feel about God. We have been in a teaching series the past few weeks called Scoreboard, where we're looking at nine of the behaviors that a growing Christ follower should have. And just like a sport and how they have statistics to kind of gauge how they're doing in the sport, um, we're trying to come up with these mile markers, these markers uh, that you can go back to that are almost indicators of your spiritual growth to let you self-assess how you feel like you're doing in each of these subjects. And today's subject we recognize is for sure the most uncomfortable of all nine that we're talking about. Um, but we're not afraid to talk about it because Jesus talked about it a lot and we feel like it has a lot to say about our faith. In fact, Jesus talked about this subject more than any other subject in his ministry. More than heaven, more than hell, more than love. Like everything that we hear and we think of when we think of Jesus, uh, like he talked more about this because this is, such a, like, this is such a reflection of our faith and how we feel about God and how generous we are being is showing how close we are growing to God because God is a generous God and if we're growing closer to him and we're becoming more godly and more Christ-like, then naturally our lives should be reflected through a generous life. So um, today's marker we're looking at is, is being generous. Give to God first. And we give you just like we do every week in this teaching series. You guys got a little card. Um, that's not for us, that's for you. So if you want to take notes on it and take it home, you can. If you want to make mental notes, that's fine too. Um, but self-assess. 
Like, see where you're at in this, and be honest, because nobody else is going to see this. This is for you. If you want to discuss it with your family, you can, but this isn't something you, like, turn in. This is for you to just ask honestly, where are you at in this part of the journey, and where do you feel God may be calling you to take next steps? And we recognize this series is a little different than some of the other ones we do, because it's really specifically for Christ followers. These are indicators um, that God would expect a Christ follower to have. And we know that some of you are here and you wouldn't say you're a Christ follower. You might even say you're skeptical about following Jesus. And that's totally fine. Like, I'm glad you're listening in on this conversation. Um, If you haven't made the commitment to follow Christ, God doesn't hold you to the same expectation as somebody who has entered into the covenant to follow him. So as we're talking through these, know that this is a conversation for those who have made the decision to follow Christ to help you to grow closer to him. Because this subject is so important, um, I wanted to do a quick disclaimer that I'm not doing any other weeks. Um, I know that money and finances, for a lot of us, like that's a very personal subject because it's tied to how we spend 40 to 50 hours a week. Many of us work to provide for our families, and like when we think of our finances, we think of all the hard work that we put into it, and we think of how, um, how we need finances to live, and for some of us, we're so financially strapped that any conversation about finances is exhausting and stressful and frustrating, and we get defensive. I fully recognize that. Uh, I also wanna say that I don't work on commission, so like I, I don't take money out of the offering basket at the end, Um, What you give does not determine my salary. My salary is not determined by how much our offerings are taken up. My salary is determined by our board of trustees um, at the end of each year going into the next year. Um, I'm one of the five pastors and elders at Grace Church, um, but we are accountable to the trustees. And this area, more than any other area at Grace Church, the trustees actually have more say in than the elders do, just like any nonprofit that would have, a board, would have a board of governors. So we have trustees that are volunteers from Grace Church that meet. They determine my salary, and it's not based on how much you give. So if you wrote a check for a million dollars, none of that would come to my family. None of that would come to, our, our, to like our, our staff. I wouldn't get a raise for that. That's not why we're doing that. That's not why I'm passionate about this subject. I'm passionate about this because I believe the more generous we are, the more people we can impact, the more people we can help, the deeper impact we can have on the towns and the communities that we live in. So we're going to be jumping around a little bit through the Bible because uh, there's a lot that God has to say about this subject. A lot of times we like to pick one verse and kind of camp out on it and just go really deep. Um, This one we're going to be bouncing around, so don't feel like you have to turn to every passage um, because you might just spend the whole time turning and trying to find the books. We're going to have it on the screen for you too, but the very first one is in Genesis uh, chapter 4, verse 3. And at this point, God has created the world, and then he created, as the grand finale of creation, he created human beings. He created Adam, and he created Eve for one another. And uh, and then they they sinned against God. They were disobedient to God. Uh, He punishes them, and then they start to have kids. So Cain and Abel are the first two uh, kids that they have. It's two brothers, and this is an account of their lives. Um, Genesis chapter 4, Verse 3, when the two brothers grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. 
Uh, and and your, your translation, if you're reading it differently than ours, might say like offering. Um, that's because the, the Hebrew word for gift uh, that we use here is, is minka, which is offering. Um, but it's like, it's more significant than just offering. It's a symbolic offering that one gives to someone to like pledge their allegiance, to show their closeness and their allegiance to that person or to that thing. So this is a different kind of gift. This is a gift that Cain and Abel are giving as an offering to God to show how close to them they feel, to show how intimately close, how much do they love God, how, how strong is their allegiance to him, how much of a priority is him. So, so Cain gives some of his crops. He takes up a whole harvest, and then he picks some, and he gives them back to God. Um, and kind of like, like I had a birthday recently, and I got different levels of gifts. You know what I'm saying? Like for a lot of gifts that I got, it was like a Facebook wall post and just somebody saying happy birthday to me. Do you guys get those if you're on Facebook? It's, and it's like mostly people you never talk to at all, and that's your entire friendship with them is happy birthday to you. God bless you. I'll never talk to you again until a year from now. Like that's the entire friendship, right? Um, and then, and, and that, but that's what I expect I expect nothing because I don't have a friendship really with them. I hardly ever talk to them. Some of them are people I haven't talked to since college, so I don't expect them to get me a gift. Then, like, the next layer are the people that might send you, like, a generic birthday gift. Like, that might be something from work or a coworker where they kind of send the same thing uh, to, like, Dairy Queen, their gift of a free blizzard. That's still a gift you're getting, but they give that to everybody. It's not like they looked you up and they were like, oh my gosh, your birthday's coming. This, this cookies and cream is for you. They're like, oh, it's your birthday? Whatever, here you go. Like that, so it's a generic gift. I got a gift card in the mail from a friend that lives in another part of the country um, just as like a happy birthday, and I could tell like all of his friends that are pastors, he, he kind of like works with a lot of different pastors, he sends them the same thing. So it's still a gift, but it's not like a special, specific gift, right? Like that your family or your, your really close friends, I had close, I have close friends, I don't have, I didn't lose all of them, they're still my friends, uh, but they, they all like, they picked out gifts for me, you know, they took time, and like your closest friends, your family members, you're not just going to send something blindly, like you're going to think of what's something that they want, you'll wrap it up and you'll hand it to them. So in the same way, we have different offerings to God, and I'd say of those three, Cain's offering was like that second layer. It wasn't special. And it wasn't specific to what God would really want. He kind of looked at everything he had. And then in his leftovers, he said, oh, well, God, you can have this. But listen to the kind of gift that Abel gives, because very quickly we can see the difference. Verse 4, Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Can you already see the difference between the two? Right? Like Abel's gift is like that third gift. It's, It's specific to God. The Lord accepted Abel in his gift but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. They both reflect, both of these gifts reflect how each brother feels about God. Both love God, but one gave out of his leftovers. One specifically gave to God out of his first fruits the best that he had to God. So very quickly between these two brothers, can't you tell the difference of their allegiance to God? Yes or no? Absolutely, right? And that's why God looks at one and he says, I accept your gift, Abel, because I can tell that you truly love me and I'm your first priority. Whereas Cain took up his harvest and he said, oh yeah, I've got to get some to God. And, and he just threw some his way. They're, they're totally different reflections. Abel gave the best portions, his first fruits, which first fruits, 
That's a concept you're going to see throughout the rest of the Bible. It's introduced first here in Genesis chapter 4, and then it eventually becomes an expectation that God has for anybody that chooses to follow him. And in the Jewish law, which is established in like Exodus, Leviticus, and a little bit in Deuteronomy, he starts to talk about these first fruits more and more. In fact, it's, even, it's actually referred to um, from Genesis 12 on as a tithe. And first of the harvest are brought to the temple and dedicated to God because according to Jewish law, that first fruits, that first 10%, that's actually God's. Like if you have, a, if you have made the commitment to follow God, part of that commitment is you're going to give the first 10% to him because you are marking your allegiance to God, that he's your first priority. So before you spend anything else, you're going to give to God first. Not your leftovers, but your first fruits. So a sign of a growing Christ follower is I give at least the first fruits, the first 10% back to God. Because that's a theme that starts in Genesis 4 and it actually continues through the Old Testament and through the New Testament. So even when Jesus comes and he establishes a new covenant with his people, he, he maintains that expectation. So in Genesis 12, we're not going to turn there, but I'll just explain it quickly. That's where the tithe comes. Who's heard the word tithe before? Um, most of us, right? So, and it's hard for us to talk about sometimes because um, maybe we've heard it manipulated. We've heard it abused. And that's why I want to clarify what I mean when I say that. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, uh, there's a guy named Abram who changes his name to Abraham once he starts to follow God. And in the conversation he has with God, it's the first time that somebody voluntarily um, decides they'll go wherever God will send him. So God makes this really cool promise in Genesis chapter 12 where he says, go, leave your nation. You're going to go to other nations. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to, does anyone know? To others. I'm going to bless you so that you can bless others, which is the same, by the way, that's the same agreement that God has with us now, is I believe that when he blesses us with abundance, that's so we can be generous and bless more people. So my prayer for my family financially is, God, if you give me more, I promise I'll use it for your glory. Because that's the agreement I've made as a Christ follower, is the more God gives me, the higher my responsibility and the higher my expectation with what he's given me. So that tithe, that tithe like conversation begins in Genesis 12, and it continues throughout the Old Testament. You can read about it in the Jewish law, uh, in Exodus, Leviticus, and they keep going back to it, but then the prophets talk about it. Uh, it it's like, it's seen, if you, if you looked up tithe on like Bible Gateway, you'd see it a bunch throughout the Bible, but then it, it's one of those teachings that Jesus actually continues even as he's creating a new covenant. So Jesus comes in and he says, you've heard this in the Jewish law, but it's now this. It's changing with the new covenant, but the tithe is not one of those. The tithe, the expectation changes. He's saying that if you are still going to, if you're going to follow me in 2019 under this new covenant, there's still an expectation of this. Uh, he talks about this in uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 39, uh, and, he, and he says to them, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? And what he's saying is there's a lot of people that say they're religious, but in this area, internally, where the people around them don't know what's going on, they, like, this is something, this is a stronghold. This is a struggle. Verse 41, so clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you'll be clean all over. What sorrow 
awaits you Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. What Jesus is saying here is an expectation of a Christ follower is we give our first fruits to God, but that's the, actually the beginning of generosity. The beginning of generosity is how we treat our finances. It ends with how we treat the people around us. And there's some of us that we haven't even taken the first step. Like we can't say that we're being generous towards God because he says the first step is, is tithing, is giving his first 10% to God. So Katie and I, when we got married, we made a commitment that we were never going to live on more than 90% of our income because I really believe that that first 10% is God's. And I'm going to give that back to him to where I, like, I don't even account for it. That's a non-negotiable because that is his. And I don't want to spend his portion on something for myself. And what that's allowed me to do is live from a place where I can try to be more generous with what I already have. But the first fruits I'm going to give to God because that's a commitment I made to him. So there's even been moments where Katie and I have had like student loans and car loans and stuff like that where like just as much as we're going to pay our mortgage and the car loan, like you're not going to go out and just spend your mortgage on something else because you want something more. Like that's a necessity. You account for that every single month or your rent or whatever it is. We do that with our first fruits because we never want to be in a place that we're going to let the enemy mess with our perspective towards finances. And if that's something that God wants for me so that I can keep a godly perspective, I'm going to budget that way. In the Bible, the tithe is the spiritual obedience of giving our first to God. By my response to this issue of generosity, like it reveals my heart. The way we respond to this conversation, it reveals how we feel. It reveals our faith. Not our entire faith, but it's a big picture of how much do we trust God, especially in, in the most vulnerable, difficult, stressful areas of our lives. And for many of us, I mean, this is the number one cause of divorce. Like, for many of us, this is a great tension point. This is something we're uncomfortable talking about. The way we respond to it will show how much we trust God in this area. In 2018, almost half the country had credit card debt. And I'm not talking about student loans. I'm not talking about car loans. I'm not even talking about, like, a mortgage on a house or anything. Actual credit card debt, which means 43%, almost half the country on a monthly basis, lives on more than what they take in. Now, the reason why that impacts this conversation is what's happening is we're spending more than we have, and then because we've overspent, we aren't tithing because we can't afford to. So this conversation becomes stressful for us, and we become upset about it, even though God's expectation didn't change. There's not an asterisk next to this that says, as long as you have the money to do it, like our commitment to follow Christ this is one of those uncomfortable areas that he's saying, I'm, I'm going to set the bar higher than the rest of the world. The rest of the world gives me nothing back. So for my followers, I'm going to give you everything. And it doesn't mean you didn't work hard for it, but he's saying in return, if you really have allegiance to me, if I really am your first priority, all I'm asking for back is that first fruits. So not only are some of us living way above our means, but we're using God's portion to cover the difference of our debt. God has something so much better, such bigger plans for our treasure than what we do. This is why Jesus keeps going back to this. So he brings it up again in Mark chapter 12. 
where he and, and his, his closest followers, the apostles, the disciples, they're like sitting at the, the collection box at the temple, and they observe this thing happen. Here's what it says in Mark 12, 41. It says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple, and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples together, and he says, I tell you the truth, that poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. They gave some of their leftovers. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has to live on. Like, she doesn't know how she's going to get through the month, but she's not going to stop giving her first fruits to God because that's her first allegiance, because that's her first priority. That even when things are tough, her faith doesn't change, and her commitment to God doesn't change. She doesn't scale back because she got poor. She says, I will always commit to God first, knowing that he's going to take care of me. They gave a tiny part of their leftovers. She gave all of her first fruits. Some of us are given 100 bucks a month, and like we look at this subject and we say we're crushing it because we're given 100 bucks more than most of the world. Some of us are like, I'm given 100 bucks a week, and we say, I, I, there's no way I could be more generous. And like it's still not the bare minimum of what God has. Like, like it's hard for us to even get to the 10%. That's all God asks. Everything I have, it doesn't mean I've, I haven't worked for it, but everything I have, I owe to God and his favor and his blessing. And all he asks back is that first portion. Some of us, we don't even want to get to that. We don't even want to get anything back because we've let hurt from the past or skepticism or manipulation and wrong teachings about this hold us back, which I completely understand. But God's expectation is still there. And in our faith, as we grow closer to him, we should grow closer to a heart of generosity. What we do behind closed doors, that reveals our true faith. This is a private subject. This isn't something we talk about often. Like with, it's not like you're going to talk about this with your life group openly or talk about it with the people around you. This is between you and God. By the way, this isn't even about giving to the church. This is about giving to God. And he calls us to do that through the local church. This isn't about giving us more money. This is about your perspective towards God. Do you really trust him as your first priority? Because he wants to use the treasure that you have to change hundreds of lives. And the sign of an, like another sign of a growing Christ follower is I leverage my money to be a blessing to others. We wouldn't be here today without the blessing. And without the generosity of hundreds of people at Grace Church that don't even go to this location. Because they believed that by us opening up this new church location closer to the Bridgewater area, that your families and that your friends and family uh, might come here because you don't want to drive all the way to Avon. And now we have the opportunity to reach towns that weren't being reached before. And so a year ago, Grace Church Avon took up a one-time offering to help do the renovations and the build-out for this whole location. And, and it was the largest offering we've ever had. It was over $150,000 that was given by people that most of which do not even come to this location. But they want to see God do something bigger with their treasure than they could ever imagine. That's why this is such a big deal. That's why I get so excited and passionate about it. It's not because we need your money. The vision of Grace Church won't change based on how much you give. We already have the vision. 
the pace at which we achieve that vision will. We set the vision. You, through your generosity, set the pace and the timeline at which we can achieve that vision. We have the desire and the heart to reach as many people as we can in our towns and communities. We have a heart to want to try to replant and plant churches in towns all around us that don't have a single growing Bible-believing church. And many of you are driving from three or four towns over because this is the closest church you could find that preaches the Bible that you feel comfortable bringing your family to. But what if there was a church down the street from you? Then your friends and neighbors that don't want to drive 30 minutes with you might. So we want to do everything we can to help plant a church in that town too. And one day, I'm so excited about this, one day we're going to have the opportunity to give away money and to give people who have been worshiping here to help start a new church because we know that we'll have the opportunity to reach and impact and serve people that are a town that may be 20 or 30 minutes away. That's what excites me about this conversation is is how many people might be impacted if we become more and more generous uh, in this subject because where we put our money demonstrates where we put our heart. That's why we're able to do these town events that are free. And by the way, like every time we do these movie nights, people try to give us money and we don't want it because that's not why we're here. We're not trying to raise money. That's a free gift to the town. That's why we had a car wash yesterday here that a lot of, like we had over 100 cars uh, come by and just get a free car wash. It's an opportunity for us to show that we're not here to get your money and to have as many people worship. We're just here to serve the community. That's why Grace Church is able to offer scholarships to any graduating senior that feels called to ministry and wants to go to Bible college. Say, we'll help you get there because we believe in pouring in the next generation so that they can lead the church after, after we're done. Like, that's why we support, like, church planters and missionaries all over the world. That's why we have these local partners like the Well Counseling Center and, and Teen Challenge and Fostering Hope that we believe in, that we want to come alongside, that are dependent on the generosity of churches like ours to achieve their vision. It's because of your generosity we're able to do these things. That's why if you have a hard month and you can't pay your bills, you don't have food for your family, that's why we will step in to help you. And it's because of the generosity of the people here. So the more you give is an opportunity for us to make a greater impact towards other people. That's what excites me about this conversation. Last week, Brandon stood up here and he he talked about uh, campus coming up, our student director. And he was saying how we want to take as many students to camp as possible because we believe that it's at camp that God changes lives and changes hearts. And I was a student pastor for 10 years. I saw that happen all the time. And we said, if you're willing, even if you don't have a student that's going to camp, even if you don't even have a teenager, and you're willing to give a scholarship to help send a kid to camp who wouldn't normally be able to go, um, please let us know. And between here and our Braintree location in Avon, um, people gave over $7,000 so that teenagers go to camp. It's not the price that excites me. It's the number of teenagers whose lives might be transformed because of your generosity. Families might be transformed, and they may never know your name. Isn't that exciting? That's so much more exciting. That's something that it's worth giving to because I know that God's plans with my treasure go way beyond my own family and way beyond my own desires. The only way we can do it is because there's people in our church that have decided to put God first and give him the first fruits that belong to him, even if they get no credit for it, because it's not about that. It's about showing where their first allegiance is. I want to look at one more passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's about halfway through the New Testament. Um, For God 
is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. Verse 10, in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. Why? So you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. What it's saying is God blesses us so that we can bless other people. God gives you abundance so that you can share it with those that are in need. It doesn't mean you can't go on great vacations and do all the fun things you want to do, and it doesn't mean that you can't enjoy the house you live in and the car you drive. God's not saying, I want you to live a miserable life and give everything away. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to recognize where your money comes from, that if you have a problem just giving even the first portion back to God, then maybe you don't trust him as much as you say you do. Like, growing closer to Christ means growing in our generosity because the heart of God is a heart of generosity. And how could we become more like God and not become more generous? John Piper had a quote that I read this week that just rocked my world. And he's, this is his definition of the love of money. A condition of the heart that feels more security, more pleasure, and more hope in earthly possessions than it does in the faithfulness of God. Some of us are like, yeah, I think I do struggle with that. Pay attention to that. This may be your barrier in growing closer to Christ. And it doesn't mean God's furious at you and he's mad at you. And by the way, he still loves you even if you hold back here. So this isn't about an exchange that if I give more, he's going to love me more. His love is unconditional but he wants to help you overcome the barriers that are holding you back from growing closer to him. And for a lot of us, it's this. Because we, some of us, we find more stability, more pleasure, more meaning in the security of our money than in the goodness of God. We don't like having to put ourselves in a place where God has to show up to take care of us. We don't like the uncomfortable idea of having to live off of 90% of what we have because we don't know where the rest of the 10% is going to come from, and that part takes faith. And we do not want to position our lives in a way that it really takes faith. A lot of us live our lives in a way that we say we're all in on following Christ, but our lives would look no different if we were following Christ or if we weren't. Following Christ means that we are dependent on God to show up for us to do all the things that we need to do. It doesn't mean we have to be reckless, and it doesn't mean we have to be stupid. It means we have to be faithful, and we have to be bold, and we have to be courageous. And sometimes that barrier is finances because that's been our security. And God's saying, no, 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 your security is me. I'll always take care of you. But do you trust that? Do you trust that enough that you're willing to give to me even when you aren't sure how that's going to play into your budget? Because I've learned that even in those hard times, not wavering on this issue and always saying, you're my first priority, I'm going to give to you first, he's always taking care of me. So what are you choosing? What you are choosing to give and not give to God those are true reflections of your faith in him. Are you giving God your first fruits? Or are you giving him your leftovers? The last sign of a, of a growing Christ follower is I manage all of my assets in a godly way. Because if I'm, gonna be, if I'm going to live a godly life, I have to manage all of my money in a godly way. Do you do that? Do you look for ways to leverage your money to be a blessing to others? Do you view your money as spiritual 
or is it strictly financial? Is it an opportunity for you to grow closer to Christ, or is it just, that's my take-home paycheck, God has nothing to do with it? Because those of us that are in Christ, this isn't something we can avoid. And for some of us, these are deep ties into our heart that deep down, we find more security in our wallet than in God. And that's worth addressing. But for some of us, our next step, we need to start really thinking of how we can become more intentional in giving. If, if it's not even budgeted in, then how high of a priority is God in your finances? So we need to start taking steps. And some of you are like, I'm nowhere near being able to tithe. That's okay. We're not expecting you to go into debt to do this next month. But what if over the next six months, you could stair step there? What if you started to give 2%? What if you started to give 5%? And what if you started to put yourself on a budget and you realized quickly that we all have things in our lives that we don't necessarily need? And because God's a top priority, he comes before that. And you, you came to a place that maybe by January, you're giving a tithe. And you're in a place where you're, for the first time in your life, you're putting God first in your finances. That'll change your faith. I promise you it will. Because for a lot of us, that's the barrier. If you can find faith in this area, it's a lot easier to find faith in other areas because this is the stronghold. For some of us, we are tithing, and God may, he may not say to stop. He may want more because he's given you more. The tithe is the bare minimum, and some of us have the capacity. We can be generous now. Now that we've met the bare minimum, we can now be generous, and some of you have the capacity to do that. Some of you have been blessed so immensely that you could make a significant difference and it won't even like hurt your bank account. Some of us are like, who's that person? I want to sit next to them, right? <laughs> you know who you are. Like God has just blessed you in a different way. And God has given you opportunities and you've worked hard to get there. It doesn't mean you haven't. But God has given you opportunities and put you with financial privilege. And he has plans for that money that are way bigger than what you could ever dream of. So I'll close with this. This is something I'm very excited about. Uh, two years ago, when we began to pray and move forward in planting this location, um, one of the things that was on my heart was an article that I'd read years ago in USA Today, and it said that churches are the biggest waste of space in America. And it wasn't being critical to, like, the religious stuff that happened. It was saying churches, they build these buildings, and then they use them for five hours a week. And, and that resonated with me because I said, how can we use this space beyond Sunday mornings? Like, how can this be a blessing to our community every day of the week? Because right now, we come in here, and we have an opportunity to, to gather together and to sing and to, and to be taught the Word of God with several hundred people on a Sunday morning, but then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like, there's some small groups that meet here and stuff, but for the most part, our space is mostly empty. We said, what if this could be an opportunity for us to connect with people during the week, especially people that might not want to come on Sunday morning. Like, how could we open our space? Because that would be a really neat opportunity that we might actually be able to connect with more people during the week here than on a Sunday morning because we're using it for purposes that aren't strictly for a Sunday morning worship service. And so I did some research and I began to pray about what that might look like. And I looked at what other churches around the country were doing. And I looked at what other like newer churches were doing. Um, and the idea of a coffee shop came up of what if during the week, we had a coffee shop that was used to connect with people from the community. Because you know the number one barrier why most spiritually disconnected people won't come to church with you? Do you know what the number one barrier is? The front door. It is the front door. 
that a lot, of, and a lot of you, that was your barrier. Like you could say, yeah, once I walked in here, it was different than what I thought. We have people walk in for deliveries and they're confused because they expect the pews and like the traditional thing and they're like, Grace Church? Because it looks different. We designed it that way on purpose because we want to knock down that barrier right when they come in. That's why we have VIPs and greeters that connect with them before they even get in here is we're trying to knock down those barriers. So what if we could use the space during the week where somebody could come in for a non-religious purpose, but it knocks down the barrier? I think we'd reach hundreds more than just by meeting here on Sunday. And so we began to pray about, God, if, if, you, if this is something that, that could work, you need to give us a permanent space. It needs to have a good location. We need the funds, and we need the person. So that's why we could have kept meeting in the school, but we wanted to have a permanent space so that we could bless the community every day of the week. Plus, there's a lot of people that think, like, churches that do set up and tear down in a school are cults and won't make it. Um, so we're like, let's get out of that phase. And, uh, and, and then I said, and it has to have a spinning neon sign and a liquor store next to it. And God brought that. Isn't that amazing? Um, but then the next, I said, okay, God, so you gave us this unbelievable build. Everyone knows where it is. Like, I talked to people that are an hour away. And they're like, I don't know where West Bridgewater is. Oh, Hockamock Plaza? I know where that is. I'm like, why? They're like, I don't know. It's legendary. And it's like on the West Bridgewater Facebook page. They don't even have our permission. It's on there, right? So we have this incredible location. We say, how can we bless the community every day of the week? Okay, well, now you gave us a location. So God, if this is going to happen, we need the funds and we need the person who knows how to do this because I'm not good at business. I'm horrible at it. And some of you have picked up on that very quickly. And, uh, and Brandon's even worse at business. And I'm just kidding. He actually did a good job with the movie night a few weeks ago, but that's the extent. He's exhausted. He's done with business for the rest of the year. Um, so like we need someone that's actually gifted in this way. I don't know how to write a business plan. Like I know how to write a book, but not a business plan. I, I don't know what I'm doing. So we, we need that, but then we need the funds. And I said, I don't want this, um, I want this to be something, because this would be a separate nonprofit, um, we're going to call it the Bridge Coffee House, um, because this would be a totally separate nonprofit, I want to raise money from outside sources so we can keep the books separate. I don't want it to be this blurry thing where people are giving and then it's transferring to another. That gets real messy. Um, so I, the past year, I've been fundraising um, with different churches and people all over the country and sharing, hey, so we've got this new church and we have this idea that we actually think will reach more people and we'll plant seeds more than even our Sunday morning services, and they'll kind of complement it. And what's cool is God has been so generous, and we've raised almost $100,000 that is set aside for this coffee shop. And so March count comes. We've opened up. We've been having worship services. I went to a conference in Florida, and I got to connect with my friend at a church called Lake Point Church in Dallas. And they've done a lot of coaching and mentoring and stuff for Sean and the pastoral staff and me. Um, to help Grace Church just make wise decisions. And I told him, he's like, what's next for you guys? You've launched now, what? And I said, well, we only have one chance to make a first impression in the community. And there's a lot of people, like, they don't care that the church is here. Like, they were disappointed. They wanted a Starbucks and a Panera and all this stuff that, you know, like, they wanted something that they would go to. And I said, so we wanted something that, like, the community would come to, whether they're religious or not. And so I told him this idea for the nonprofit, and I told him how we've done a lot of research and how we've actually traveled to other cities and talked to churches that are doing this. And we're like, is this a possible thing? They said, absolutely. You just need the person and the money. Um, you've already got the church back in you, and you've got a great location. So I, he said, how much more do you need? I said, to get started this fall, probably like another $20,000. And he writes a check for $25,000. So now I'm saying, okay, all we need now is the person. Um, and that's what we've been praying about. Uh, so I'm really excited to announce that our staff is about to expand. Um, 
and this person's full-time salary will actually come from the Bridge Coffee House. And the goal of the Bridge Coffee House is not great coffee, though I better have good coffee, right? Um, it, it's mission. It's reach people. It's bridging people to people, bridging culture to culture, bridging people to God. That it's not a Christian coffee house, you have to be a Christ follower to come in. It's an opportunity to connect with people. All of our money will not go to Grace Church. It won't go to the bridge. It'll go to the Grace Church ministry partners all over the country and all over the world. Some are in New England, some are in North America, some are in other hemispheres. We're sending all of it out because we want this to be an opportunity to connect with people and to bless cultures all over the world. So we have the person. Um, David, can you get on up here? David and Aaron, Holmesy, can we give it up for them? You have a fan section, man. I don't get a fan section. Uh, anybody know David? Yeah, he's the tall, look at that. He's the tall Jesus-looking dude. He's the most Jesus-looking guy in our church because Jesus is from the Middle East. He wasn't white. And you're from Lebanon, so Aaron, you don't look like Mary, but he looks like Jesus. Um, so, uh, so David and Aaron have been very involved in our church for several years now, uh, and they started as greeters. Uh, and then, like many of you, they just got more and more involved because they fell deeper in love with Jesus, and they were willing to sacrifice more of their time. And now Aaron is one of our kids' coaches and serves in the kids' ministry every week. Uh, and David is now our first impressions director, which means he basically oversees everything that happens outside the auditorium and the kids' ministry on a Sunday morning. Uh, David's full-time job is as a gemologist, um, which means he's expert in diamonds. And uh, some of you are like, I need to talk to that guy after this. Um, and uh, he's, he's been managing uh, Long's Jewelers in Braintree for the past several years. And some of you are like, oh, yeah, I've been past there. That's the place that I can't afford to buy anything. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Uh, and, but he's been working at such a high level um, in, what he, in the people that he manages in the budget and Long's Jewelers um, for the past several years and even before that in the jewelry business, um, other companies have paid for him to learn business and now we get to use it at Grace Church for free. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> we don't have to pay for any of that education. Uh, and, and we started to have conversations in October and I was like, David, I feel like God's put this on our heart. He's given us this amazing location, but I don't have the time to do this because God's calling me to leave this church right now. Um, could you help us to create a business plan? And so he went home and he created a business plan and then he showed it to me. He's like, is it good? I was like, I don't know because I don't know what a business plan is, <laughs> but it looks good. Um, and then we, he started to help me. And as we started to pray through it going into the beginning of 2019, we said, David had felt a call to something new for a while. And we said, what if, what if God put this vision on our heart several years ago and God began to work in their heart that God had something new for them and that he may be calling him into full-time ministry, but he didn't know what it looked like because he said, I, I don't, I'm not like a preacher like you. That's not, my skill set is, is in the systems and the business and the logistic. I said, good, Brandon and I are whore about all that stuff. So we need you here. And like, we like working with the people and the teaching and stuff, but like, this place would be a disaster without people like David behind the scenes. And so as we prayed about it, we said, if the, if the finances are there, let's try to open this thing. And then this church wrote this check, and now we've got the money set aside. And on July 1st, David is stepping away from the job he's known for several years. And out of boldness and courage, he's taken on the venture that he and Aaron are going to spearhead this thing. And the Bridge Coffee House opens this fall. Isn't that awesome? And Aaron's pregnant, so it's a low-key <laughs> low summer going on. Uh, as a church family, we need to support them. 
and pray for them. Uh, he'll stay our first impressions director, but we also get a, a two-for-one out of this thing, that while his, his salary will come from the Bridge Coffee House, um, the, 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 the systems and the logistics and the details and some of the things that, that we, there's a lot that goes into what we do, we get that mind at the table too. Um, and we get a family that loves Jesus, that has been so generous to this church with their time, with their finances, and even with their career, that they're willing to lay down something that is his family's, like that's, that's their family's work, and step into something brand new. The first person in, in their family lines to do this with boldness and courage. I love it because they trust God. That's the kind of generosity that I pray we have because there's people in this room that God's going to call you to do really bold things and you're not sure what it's going to look like. And that's what we've been walking through the past three months. It's okay, we've got a bunch of questions and we still don't know, but we're trusting that this is what God has because we said, God, if this is what you want, will you do one, two, three, four? And then he did one, two, three, four. So we're trusting God on this, aren't we? Think how many people, think how many of your friends and neighbors, they are never going to come here on a Sunday, but they might get coffee with you here on a Wednesday and look around and it might spark some curiosity. Isn't that exciting? That's why that whole space is designed like a coffee shop. We've been planning this for a long time. So we're going to pray. And my prayer is this, uh, that this transition goes smoothly, that we can take care of them through it, and that God will continue to nudge you of how you can be more generous, to give to God first, because, because he has such bigger plans for your treasure than you do. Let's pray together. Lord, I am just so excited about what you're doing here. You continue to amaze me and, and encourage me. And, and tell us to keep moving forward and to not take the foot off the gas, God. And while there has been so many exciting things that have happened here at Grace Church in the past five months, um, we don't slow down because our work isn't done, God. And, and so we believe that this is the next layer of ministry and, and we'll be just as focused at doing ministry through Grace Church, but this is a new branch of our outreach ministry and we're so excited about it, God. Lord, I pray that for those here that know and that you're nudging to be more generous, that they pay attention to that, that they lean into that, that they're not afraid to think of what that might mean for them, that you give them boldness and courage, not because we need the money. We don't. And this isn't about giving to the church. It's about giving to you, God. But help us to recognize where we're at in this journey, God. I thank you for how you continue to answer prayers. You always take care of us, even when you're called, calling us to do bold things. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Can we thank the homes even one more time?